What we're going to be doing today is we're going to be interviewing Pastor J.D. Because J.D. is back in the building. And before he comes up, let me, you know, for some of you, um, you don't know who Pastor J.D. is. Because you started coming in the last six months. And you're like, who is this said Pastor J.D.? Um, And what is a sabbatical? And where did he come back from? So let me just kind of give some context real quick. Pastor J.D. went on a sabbatical, and what a sabbatical is, is it is a time for for us to trust in God and rest in Him. It comes from Leviticus 25. That's one of the places that we see it, and what God commanded the people to do was, hey, in this year of Sabbath rest, you're not supposed to harvest the the food that you've grown, the, the grapes. You're supposed to let everything in the land just sit. And that was a big, bold move for the people to do. Imagine being a farmer, and you don't farm for a whole year. And you're supposed to still eat. So it was a major faith move to trust God that he would provide for the people and that what he would do in that year of rest for them would make it better for years to come. And so what Pastor J.D. did is he stepped into a major faith move and said, hey, I'm going to take a sabbatical after 18 years of full-time ministry, taking my first sabbatical, and I'm going to trust God that he's going to, I'm going to lay down the work of my hands for a season, and I'm going to believe that God's going to do a work in me, in my family, and in our church because I'm putting my faith in him. And it's been a beautiful experience for him, which we're going to hear about, and it's also been a beautiful experience for us as a church. When our leader steps into something, steps out in faith, we receive the reward of that. He goes before us, and so we now get to receive the blessing that he also got to experience, okay? So would you do me a favor, and would you welcome Pastor J.D. to the stage? Oh, what's up, everybody? Man, it is so great to see you again. <laughs> I've seen him all the time because he's one of my closest friends. Man, we're glad you're here with us. Thank you. Can we just welcome the Griffin family too? Liz, we love you. We got, I mean, I'm not going to ask them to stand because, you know, um, there's some injuries going on. But Sophie, Kevin, Tate, Ines. We love you guys. We're glad you're here. Um, We missed you guys a lot. So we're going to hear about your sabbatical. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I want to start out with with something simple. Like, what's some fun things you got to do, man? We got to have a lot of fun. A couple fun trips. We went camping in Rocky Mountain National Park. If, uh, If you've been there, it's like a breathtaking place. 
uh, got to do some vacationing with the fam, got to spend a lot of time in San Diego. We have some dear friends there, and they opened up their home to us, and we stayed there. And I also uh, did a lot of cowboying. Yeah. Yeah, which uh, uh, it's kind of the, the hidden known fact about me is that I moonlight as a uh, day worker cowboy. So <laughs> got to... Uh, Go wrestle some cows and uh, have a good time. And there it is. I knew I knew we would know when the cowboy yeah, photo showed yeah, up. Yeah, it's, it's it was it was there. So got to uh, have a good time and almost get bucked off horses. You know, just do the thing. So it was it was it was fun. It was a blast actually. All right. So if when you work cowboying, right? You and when a Sunday morning was happening. Yes. You've been. You've been we went to church. We did. Uh, we went to Greater Mount Zion, um, and uh, it's a church in East Austin. It's pastored by a guy named Galen Clark, who's uh, a dear friend of mine and a mentor. And so it's already starting. That's good. It's good. Church was great. <laughs> it, it was a uh, it was a blast. It's um, yeah. It, it was it was really beautiful to to be a part of a church where um, I wasn't doing anything. You know, was, I got to come late. I got to feel what y'all do. You know, <laughs> like we we like show up. You know, like. 10 minutes late, I'm like, oh, I get it. This is why people do it. Like, this is nice. You know, this feels good. Um, and, yeah, we, and we just got really loved on uh, there. So, like, the first week we showed up, he pulled me on the stage. And so people knew, you know, who we were. And um, they just loved our family and loved us. And it was a really beautiful time. Missed you guys tremendously. And... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think <clears throat> being back, like, it, I, I've been, it was so, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm a very emotional person, um, and I think for most of my life, I was kind of ashamed of that a little bit. Appreciate you. Thank you. Um, so, <clears throat> the, um, what a, it's just kind of really overwhelming to be here. And I, I think sometimes when you hear overwhelming, it can like have like a negative connotation like, oh, I'm overwhelmed, you know, and, um, but it's more like, that's not at all um, the vibe, it's like, it's just, uh, I'm just really thankful. And uh, the, <clears throat> you know, sabbatical 
I know Chris has questions, but I'm just kind of, I'm a preacher, so I haven't done this in a long time. <laughs> <clears throat> I haven't been on a mic in a I while. Had, so. I had one question, which was, yeah. hi, how hi, are th- you? Thank you. <laughs> I'm good. Um, uh, sabbatical, you know, I, I said this before I went on the sabbatical, but I, I had a pretty negative view of sabbaticals, if I'm being really vulnerable with you. If you came to me and, you know, and my, you know, and I've apologized to, to Chris Paget like 17 times, probably 27 times, um, because he was always talking about the importance of these things. And I would just be like, bro, I just feel like this is something that weak pastors created to take extended vacations. You know, like that's really what I thought. Like I, I, I didn't have any space in my heart or in my mind to even like, what is this thing um, that people talk about? And then you throw in that oftentimes people go on sabbaticals when things aren't going well, right? So, like, they're having a personal issue or they've been a jerk to their team and so everybody needs some space. And so I was like, I either saw it as like a disciplinary thing that needed to happen or a uh, extended vacation thing. Um, and I... Uh, was so shocked um, by how uh, tender God was to me in correcting my misunderstanding of the purpose and the importance of the season that I was in. And I think you could think about sabbatical similar to the gospel. It's like death, burial, and resurrection. It would be kind of a, 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 a framework of kind of what it felt like. The, the first little bit, I was trying to figure out how to unwind. Um, and I don't think I was aware of how distracting life can be from how you're really doing. And, you know, you get over not having anything to do, at least a guy like me. I was kind of ready to come back in about 72 hours. I was like, I think I'm good. You know, like I, I slept in, you know, this is nice. Read a what, book. What's sleeping in for you? I know you. <laughs> Six. Um, and so, you know, slept until six, felt really refreshed and was like, all right, let's go, you know? Um, but what ended up happening is that, you know, silence is an extraordinarily powerful thing. And I read an enormous amount of books and maybe like I can put out like a a list of the books I read or something. Um, and one of them was called The Desert Way, and it was actually written by like a Catholic priest on these desert fathers that would like go and be by themselves in like silence and solitude for longer than I could handle it. And um, it, and so I started trying to practice this thing called silence, and you realize how noisy everything is when and how this like noisy you make your life so that you don't have to deal with silence like we're rarely ever 
like quiet. And um, I remember I, I, would, uh, I would go on runs and I started being like, all right, I'm not going to listen to music while I run. And to force myself to be with myself. And, you know, I think Carl told you guys a couple of times, like, the, the challenge of a sabbatical is not that um, it's, it's not being alone. It's learning how to be by yourself, like, with yourself. And I, uh, in the silence and the vacuum of not having anything that could prop me up emotionally, like, no, you know, high fives or, like, hey, that was a good sermon or just the jolt of uh, excitement of a great conversation or connecting with somebody. And I'm just kind of there. I realized like, man, I am really, really sad. And uh, I would, I was uh, just driving and I was just like, got overwhelmed with just sorrow. And I, I think I, just started to realize man, there's a lot of disappointment in my heart that I didn't know how to deal with. And, you know, everyone experiences disappointment, right? I mean, things don't go the way you think. You don't get the job you think you're going to get. You, a relationship you thought was going to last forever doesn't. You know, like this disappointment is all around us at all times. And, I am a, I love taking steps of faith. I, I love it. And, you know, uh, so we've taken a couple big jumps as a family. You know, we planted a church in Seattle in the early 2000s, which, geez, we're old. You say the it like that, 2000s. you're like, man, the early 2000s, we planted a church. It's like, almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, it was a long time ago, man. Um, and, uh, oh, this is so beautiful. Did you make this yourself? You did? It's nice. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I think, and then I, you know, we, we went and helped plant a church in San Diego, and um, then we went back and helped in Waco, and then we felt like God called us here to plant a church here. And every time you do something where, you, where God is calling you or drawing you, whatever language you want to use, right? Like, um, there, there, is, there is holy expectation that gets baked into that, right? God speaks to you and he shows you like, hey, this is what's going to happen. Or you get like a window or an expectation in your heart of how things are going to transpire and uh, what's it going to look like. And that's a beautiful process of dreaming with God and leaning in and, you know, and learning how to believe in faith and, you know, pushing forward and saying, man, we're not going to despise the days of small beginnings and we're going to keep believing and praying and sharing the gospel. And um, I think what I didn't realize is that my faith was actually a little bit more contingent on breakthrough than I would have preached. You know, I would always, you know, I'll tell you, like, man, we believe in who God is, not what God does, right? Like, I mean, that is something that I absolutely believe, said, but I think deep down in my heart, there was a little bit of a contingent of like, man, well, we did this, and it's not looking like we thought it was going to look, or this didn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen, 
or, you know, specifically here is like, you know, COVID like beat our face in and it's like, we didn't see that coming. And we, you know, it's just kind of like, and there was just a lot of disappointment in my heart that honestly, I didn't even know was there. I like, I, 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 because I'm such a lean forward faith guy, I was just leaning past it. I don't even know if that makes sense, but like, I just, I wouldn't allow myself to even go there. Right? Because it's just, no, we're going to keep believing, man. God's not done. And he's not, right? But there's this beautiful thing in God that I realized that, like, he is so into your process of restoration way more than your effectiveness as a minister. Like, he cares. We say it, but I don't think I believed it. Some of the tension I've expressed to Chris is like, how do you tell someone that you have been transformed? And they're like, how? And literally, it's like, it's because I, I think I'm starting to believe that God likes me. And it's so elementary, right? It's like kids' church, like what Jordan's preaching right now, probably, you know? And you're like, how do you say that? It's like it took you six months to get there, you know? You're like, yeah, and I'm still kind of figuring it out, too, you know? Like, I don't know if I even got there. Um, So a lot of what I felt like God was doing was unpacking for me a lot of pain just because of life you know like just life can hurt you know things can happen and I realized like man I don't like to grieve anybody else like not like to grieve and like so again when all you have is yourself you have like a lot of time I started like learning to pay attention to what I was feeling which I never had done before, you know? And for someone who's emotional as me, it's hilarious. Like, I, how, how did you do that? Like, like, just give us a, like... Like, t- how did I... The Easter run. Tell, tell, tell that. Oh, okay. Give yeah. us an example of how you did that. Yeah, so Easter Sunday, you know, it's kind of like Super Bowl Sunday for pastors. And, you know, it'll... Are you sure I can use this to, like, wipe my face? Okay. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, You know, like Easter Sunday, I like to say, can uh, get you through the next six months, you know? It's because, like, everyone shows up, everybody invites their friends, you know, the room's full. It's like we always do something fun for the kids, and you're trying to bless the neighborhood, and it's just like, it's a shot of arm, in the arm of like, yo, okay, like, yeah, this is happening, like, things are going. And I have been a part of Easter Sunday service since I was a teenager, because when I was a teenager, I was on the worship team at my church, and then when I went to college, I was on the worship team, and then became a a leader, then I started working for churches, and so like I had been involved in planning or helping with Easter services for as long as I could 
like remember. And here I am on Easter Sunday, and um, the fam went to church, and I just felt like I was supposed to stay back. And um, so I'm on a run, and I am no music allowed. (laughs) And it hits me like it's the first, and I would often run on Sunday afternoons, like that's just something I do. And um, it hits me like it's the first Sunday afternoon jog that I'm on that I can remember where I'm not evaluating God's favor on my life based on how many people showed up. And, um, and on top of that, God just started speaking to me that he was just like, just really proud of me. And I realized like, dude, I have a hard time receiving that. Because when you haven't done anything, and God's like, man, I'm so proud of you. You're like, I got up, I made scrambled eggs. You know, um, I skipped church, (laughs) right? I liked it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you're like, I get why people come once a month, you know? Like, you kind of get, like, different perspectives. Um, And uh, it, it was, like very revealing for me because that's when I started to realize that there was this tangling that was happening in my heart between my work and my worth. And I started describing it as a spaghetti bowl because it's not, it's not as streamlined as you would think it is. And like starting to unpack it, it's not like it comes out smoothly. You know, it's like they're all connected and in together. And that was probably one of the biggest breakthrough points for me was realizing that because I would, you know, I'm a pastor, I'm a driven guy. You know, it's so funny. My therapist, before I started meeting with him, he, he gave me all of these psychological assessments. And um, some of them were hilarious questions like, do you enjoy losing? I'm like, who says yes? Who answers that question? Yes, I love it. I love losing. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. So I'm like judging the guy. I'm like, what a waste of time, you know? And then he like writes this report where it's like I'm looking in a mirror and the dude's never sat in a room with me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, you got all of that from me saying that I like to win, you know? Um, But he sat with me and he like made these graphs and the interesting thing is, the first thing he said to me was like, hey, J.D., great to meet you. I was like, hey, Tony, great to meet you too. And he was like, you're pretty hard on yourself, aren't you? And I started crying, which doesn't take much these days. <laughs> you know, like I do, like I can't listen to country music. I start crying. <laughs> I can't watch Aflac commercials. I start crying. <laughs> like it does not take a lot. You know, like so if you need a good cry hug I'm your dude just come see me just tell me a story we'll weep together it's good um and 
he's like, I'm going to show you something. And he pulls up these two graphs that make no sense to me. And he was like, hey, you see this little dot that's kind of sticking out higher than all of your other dots? I was like, yeah. And he's like, you want to know what that is? I'm like, sure. He says, that's like your drive. He's like, you are an extraordinarily driven young man. And he called me young, and I felt good about it. And I was like, thank you. Thank you, Tony. I'll pay the full price. You know, and like... Um, and he's like, you're extraordinarily driven, dude. And I was like, yeah, I am. And he's like, all right, now look at this other graph over here. He's like, you see these, these dots that are sticking out higher than everything else. I was like, I do. He's like, you want to know what those are? I was like, sure. He goes, that's your motivation for your drivenness. He's like, that's kind of the gas pedal. Is this over here is driving this over here? And he was like, you want to know what that is? I was like, sure. He goes, that's shame. And before the sabbatical, if you were like, hey, do you think you deal with shame? I would have said, I don't think so. Like, don't we all a little bit, you know, like I wouldn't have identified it as like this thing that I needed to lean into. But I can look you all in the face today and say, like, I think that's probably the only thing I deal with now. Like, it's like now that I understand what it is, it's like, wow, this thing has been a massive part of my life. And... Shame can wear a lot of different hats, but for me, shame would be a lot of constantly feeling like I'm not good enough, no matter what I did, right? It, it didn't, if it was sports, if it was school, if it was this, and it just kind of bleeds over, right? Your things you do change, but the motor of your brokenness revs the same so it shifted to church because that's what i did but the thing that was happening in me was not like new to church and so it's like i never felt like i was good enough or never felt like i could achieve enough or and it was just this felt like this constant thing in me and I learned to channel that into drive, right? Like, okay, I'm going to work harder than anybody. And, it, you know, you kind of get that little, I love underdog stories, you know, and everything like that. And you get this kind of chip on your shoulder, like, yeah, tell me I can't, you know. And all of that is just like a mask to cover the fact that your heart is corrupted by this thing called shame that's eroding your ability to receive grace. Because grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's, it is just the love of God for you because of who he is in spite of who you are. And so if you have a shame motor, they, they can't run together. They can't, they fight against each other. They don't, they don't work together. And I started to realize like, oh my goodness, like, this is affecting every area of my life. This is affecting how I interact with my kids. This is affecting how I interact with my wife, with my team, with the church. And it was this constant lie of just like, you're not enough. And I realized just like really vulnerably that, you know, everyone looks at churches that are like growing and you know, and we're like, oh, man, man, they're like the favor of God is on them. You know, we say that, right? And like not even in a negative way of just like, man, God's favoring them. Or like, man, God's on that guy. Or God's on that girl. Or like, man, man, look what God's doing. And so what I started to do subconsciously 
was be like, okay, well, God just must like them more than he likes me. If, if, if their favor is a, you know, up here and their favor is connected to their work and we're down here, then God just must like them more than he likes me. And the unraveling of that is something I think I'll be doing for the rest of my life. I think like sabbatical is the beginning of a process. It's not the conclusion of one. Um, I, I feel like I've been given a new operating system, um, and I'm not a tech person, you know, like at all, which is kind of funny. Like, I used to be accused as a tech person. I'm like, guys, I, I don't even know how to use my iPhone. Like, I don't know what to do. I can take a picture. Um, but, like, you know, I don't have social media. I don't know how to do stuff. I remember one time, Jimmy, who's the leader of our movement or whatever, is like, hey, man, can you do, like, a reel on Instagram really quick? And I was like, bro, I have no idea how to do that. Like, I he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, man, like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but what I understand from people who are techie is that when you get a new operating system or you install new software, uh, it's, there's like, you have to learn how to operate with that new software. So I feel like the software has been installed, but I'm still learning how to actually walk out in, in it and um, to begin to stay as much untangled as I can from uh, my work and my worth. And I think the thing that has been helpful for me in that is uh, I started, I read a book called Beholding, and we'll, I guess we can post about it, people that know how to do that. Um, and uh, this book was written by a guy who was a worship leader who got like super, super sick. And he, for like three years, he was bedridden. And he realized when he had like nothing to do all day, every day. And he was like, wow, I really want to learn how to pray. He realized like, man, I don't, you run out of words really quickly when you're just trying to pray all day. And I'm a big list pray guy. You know, I like to look at it and say that I'm done. I think it keeps me accountable. I like driving at things that we want to see breakthrough in. And all that stuff is right and good and has its place. But on the sabbatical, um, I realized, like, man, I don't think I really know how to pray. So I would kind of discipline myself to spend at least half the day, like, in some sort of heart work. You know, I'm going to stay off screens and stay unplugged from music and, like, be with myself at least for, you know, a good four to six hours and, like, just have to figure it out. And um, this, this book was, like, mind-bending for me because it talked about this practice that's been around, like, since the beginning of Jesus, <laughs> like... And it's just like beholding God as he's beholding you. And 
literally, I would just sit on my back porch and I would just say, like, God, I just want to, like, behold you. And I want to experience you beholding me. And I would think, like, how do I look at my kids, you know, when they're not being idiots, which is like 10% of the time. I'm joking. Y'all are awesome. Um, And I would think about how there was literally nothing that they could do successfully or would be seen as a failure that would affect how I feel about them. There'd be zero if they got a hundred on a test or a zero, how I look at them and what I feel when I look at them does not change at all because of what they did. If they were the starting quarterback or on the or the backup, if they were, you know, whatever your thing is. You know, we all have that place where we like really want someone to see us. And we think it matters how we perform in that moment, right? Like we think it matters. And I was, uh, <clears throat> I saw this video. Don't judge me for this. Well, you can. I don't care. <laughs> um, I saw like this video clip of Mike Tyson. Do you guys know who Mike Tyson is? The fighter, kind of a controversial figure to say the least. And um, I didn't know much about Mike Tyson. I don't follow boxing. And, but I, from this video, I started kind of digging in a little bit because he was asked about this trainer that he had. It was this old white dude in his 80s, I think, when he met him. I think his name is Cuss or something like that. And, right? Cuss, Cuss, something. Um, and he just like took him in, this, this street kid who no one could control and no one saw any potential in, and he just took him in and just loved on him, believed in him, started feeding him, like just became a father figure, became a dad to him. And about seven or eight years into their relationship, he dies. And in this video, Mike Tyson is asked, hey, if... God showed up right now and gave you a computer and you could write cuss an email. You could ask him anything or say anything to him. What would you say? And he starts crying. And he said, I think I would ask him, how did I do? And I heard that and I just like started crying. because I was like, that's exactly it. Like that is what every heart is asking. And it's exactly why the Father in heaven looked at Jesus and said, well done. Because if we're asking that question, somehow in the mystery of Jesus, there was a question mark in him and his humanity as well. How did I do? And when you... Behold God beholding you. You're allowing your heart to have that question answered. 
with his pleasure. And, and like his joy and his simplicity. And I think I've just, I've, I had made life so complicated and it's like really simple. You know, it's just like, Love God and let him love you. And it kind of really all works out. And so much of life and sin is to try to keep that from happening. It's to break that down. To break down your ability to receive his love or to think you can't receive his love. Or to get you to believe a lie that he doesn't love you. So that we begin to act out of our need to have that question asked. And we start trying to get that question asked by everybody else, answered by everybody else. Um, and you know, I, I I think that over the next few months, and, and I want to encourage everybody, October eighth, right? Two weeks, I'm like real deal preaching for the first time in six months, so I'm a little fired up. All right. I feel like this message I've been I, I, I wrote it like six months ago not really um, but I want to encourage you to come to invite your friends invite people you've never invited to church because I feel like God's given me a word for us as a church because and I'll give you a teaser if you promise to come back on the 8th and that is that we're entering into a year of jubilee and the interesting thing is is that the year of jubilee is on the seventh year sabbatical year every 50 years and actually on October 8th we're celebrating our 7th birthday as a church and when God gave me this word that we're entering into the year of jubilee I actually didn't know that I'm bad with numbers apologize and actually Emily told me this week oh yeah we're celebrating our 7th birthday I was like wait what I was like God you are real <laughs> I was like um, but the thing about the year of Jubilee and I, that there's a, there's a lot of aspects of it, but overarching everything, it was a reset. It was a reset for the people of God. It was a, it was a realignment culturally, economically, relationally. It, it was a reset over everything. And that reset had a dramatic effect on everyone who knew people who were Israelites because they were asked to demonstrate this reset culturally not just to those who were in the family of God but everyone that they had debt relationship with all of that and so the spread the impact of the reset of Jubilee was global it had a global implication to it and I think that we're entering as a church into a reset and that reset ultimately is about grace. What the year of Jubilee is, is grace. That's what it is. Your debt is forgiven. If you're a slave, you're set free. If you have wronged someone, they forgive. It's just a year of grace. It's, it's this reset that happens in the people of God where you can't escape the grace of God. It literally has become every interaction that you have is grace. And I feel like we're stepping into that. We're stepping into a season of grace. 
there's a reset that's happening. There's a shift that's happening. And I believe it's because God wants to attack what shame is eroding with what the cross has provided. And you might not think you deal with shame, but I promise you, you do. And you can't outrun it. You can't do out of it. You can't achieve out of it. Like the only way that that gets settled is when you allow God to behold you. To behold him as he's beholding you. And that's kind of how we want to end. Yeah. Why don't you lead us through like how you learned how to do that? Yeah. Even what we did on Tuesday. Yeah. So, um, you guys cool? We're just going to roll a little bit. It's like family time. You all right with that? Um, so it helps me if I close my eyes and what I want you to do is just close your eyes and the best you know how, and I think this is the cool thing about God is just like, I want you to imagine him and whatever that is for you. Like it can be simple. It doesn't have to be complex, but just imagine him. And I want you just to look at him for a little bit in your mind's eye. And then I want you to allow yourself to receive him looking back at you. Oftentimes what begins to happen when you do this is that you start realizing the parts of your heart that are resistant towards him. Where you start feeling like, oh no, I don't know. Like, And I want you just to let those things go and I want you to experience the fire of his gaze. So Lord, we want to behold you. We want to see you in all of your glory. We want to experience you in your kindness. Lord, your eyes of grace, your hands of mercy. Lord, I pray that we would hear through your gaze. Well done. Well done. And we want to connect to your heart. We want to connect to you and we want our hearts to be filled with the love you have for us.